Ring, ring with Renny Revis. Hello and welcome to the show. We've got someone very special with us today. Someone you may or may not know. But don't worry, we'll explain all the inside jokes. Just sit back and enjoy the voyeurism, folks. It's Ring, Ring with Renny Revis. Hey guys, hope you're not near any fires here on the West Coast. I have to make a confession. It's my fault. Me and some of my fellow libs, or my libs sibs as I call them, gathered under the blood moon to have a socially distant gender conceal party. Well, more of a ritual, really. Anyway, me and Hillary Clinton shapeshifted near some kindling, and one thing led to another. I'm sorry. Now the sky's filled with smoke. I mean, there's some downsides, but luckily for me, dry air is actually preferred by us lizard people. Today's guest is my pal DJ Corpse Wrangler. My totally not a pseudonym friend DJ is a licensed embalmer and former coroner tech. He's currently in school to become the most professional corpse wrangler ever. He's incredibly smart. After I visited a pop-up exhibit of disgusting foods, I knew exactly who could advise me on getting the stink of rotten shark out of my nose, which lingered there all weekend. Ha! Who do I know that deals with stink? Ah, yes! Turns out, decomp molecules really cling to your nose hairs. So trim your pointer fingers, soap them up, and get in there. If your nose is ever violated by rotten shark, you're now fully prepared. What's the 411? Here's some info that'll help eavesdroppers better understand our conversation. Content warning. Suicides are graphically described in this episode. A cadaver lab allows medical students to practice dissection on donated human bodies. A DJ... Whatever fake name I said, enjoys late-night walks and taking photos. An estimated 4,000 unhoused people live in the Skid Row area of downtown Los Angeles. Tents line the sidewalks, and street deaths are commonplace. A picture of this locale would be our least popular postcard. Tourists just buy the one with the Hollywood sign. A forensic attendant retrieves bodies from death scenes and prepares them at coroner facilities. This conversation was on August 7th, when demon sperm was a trending topic. A doctor, retweeted by Trump, said face masks aren't necessary. This wackadoo doctor also previously claimed that gynecological problems may be caused by sex dreams with demons. This 411 might be unnecessary. Relevance doesn't affect demon sperm's virility. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> okay, pretty good. You have a tasty nap? Uh, I did. After, like, you know, months of this, really, what does time mean anyway? What is yeah. time? What is sleep? Yes. I feel like I go to sleep to have a dream and wake up in a different, creepier dream. <laughs> I don't know how much of a dreamer you are, but it doesn't matter where my dream is going. I always have to interrupt now and ask why people are not wearing masks. Um, <laughs> like, regardless of how ridiculous the dream is, I will stop what's going on and ask what's up, even if everybody's a fish person. That's hilarious. Um, no, I actually don't dream much. Oh, no? And what I do, they're kind of repetitive. Like, the only dreams I ever remember are ones in which I'm usually wandering around some landscape or some city, and, like, I can never find whatever the hell it is I'm looking for. And, yeah, they're essentially just 
kind of free-floating stress dreams. Those are the only ones I really have. Wow. So they're all U2 songs. <laughs> like, kind of. You still haven't found what you're looking for. Yes. Some Joshua Tree, Deep Cuts, I don't know. Yeah, which is funny because people occasionally ask me if I've ever had nightmares from you know, whatever hideous shit I've seen. And the answer is no, I've never actually had a nightmare in my life. Wow. I think that is the solution to having nightmares is be exposed to nightmarish situations every day. True, but I never even had nightmares as a kid. So, oh, really? Yeah. So when people like are asking, like, you know, do you ever have nightmares about this stuff? Or do you ever dream about this stuff? And I'm like, I rarely dream, period. And when I do, they're just sort of frustrating and dumb. And no, I've never had a nightmare. <laughs> you are well equipped to deal with horror. Yeah. I think you're just born into it. What have you been up to? Oh, uh, yeah. School starts up uh, next week. For real. Um, for real? It's been for fake. Well, well, this week was Welcome Week, so there's a whole bunch of endless Zoom meetings. Uh. Okay, so something I have not mentioned too much, but um, I'm having to repeat my first year of med school. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, man. It turns out trying to study during a pandemic and then during the biggest protests uh, LA has seen in 30 years at the same time, it is not conducive to passing all of your finals. So, yeah. Wow. People can't even handle putting an omelet together, and you're supposed to study for med school. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine being able to focus. I'm yeah, sorry. Thanks. But yeah, no, we're expected to be able to focus. Um, and apparently most of the class could, but most of the class, I think, lives out in the suburbs, and they are not uh, urban creatures. So, yeah, but this means that uh, Welcome Week is this whole thing where they're trying to get the class of 2024 to sort of get to know each other virtually. Oh, and, no. Yeah, and that's a really odd thing to do, and I don't know how well that's going to go. I mean, I literally only made friends last year because I just started talking more and more to people, um, you know, at my anatomy table. And then they introduced me to some people they knew, and after quizzes, they would go out and have a beer or something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we're not doing cadaver lab, uh, at least not for the first semester. Schools online only entirely for the uh, first semester, and second semester is in the We'll see category. What's um, that? They don't know. They literally don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, you said we'll see. I, I thought you meant like category C, but you literally mean we'll see. Yeah. How do you learn right. about cadavers without putting your hands in there? Well, we did actually finish our last block. Yeah, I mean, we have semesters, but there's also within those five to six week blocks. And for the last block, we did it via a number of videos and cadaver photos and stuff like that. And that's okay. I mean, it's good for people to sort of see what it actually looks like. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's other stuff like how to conduct a physical exam and since I'm a DO school, the actual, you know, DO part of joint manipulation and back cracking and stuff like that. What does DO stand for? It's a Dawson cardiopathy. I don't know if you're even aware of the difference between MDs and DOs. <laughs> I'm taking it all in. <laughs> okay. So... Yeah, everyone's familiar with MDs. DOs were something that started around mid-19th century, kind of going more towards the late 19th century. And it was 
kind of a reaction to the fact that most of the medical establishment at that point was purely guesswork and didn't work very well. Yeah. I love old-timey doctors. Yeah. So this is a movement that was started to turn out to be a little bit more holistic and a little bit more in terms of more promoting general health and less just intervening when shit has been horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be totally honest, like, if you listen to people who are really into this stuff and they don't talk about the founders, there's a little bit of woo there. <laughs> Some um, woo-woo? Yes, I don't know why. It's like even when people find stuff that actually works, there's always this weird stuff thing about us attributing like weird special powers to the founders and whatnot. And it's like, that's just... Oh, no. This is, this is dumb and it's not necessary. So essentially, at this point, the exams for DOs and MDs are pretty much the same. And they're going to be, in a few years, a combined exam. So we'll be taking the exact same test. Oh, man. The only, the only difference for DOs is that you have an extra couple hundred hours uh, where you do essentially... Um, the sort of stuff that you would get on, there's a lot of overlap between the techniques. So, like, you have that theaters, physical therapists, and chiropractors to use. Oh, okay. Um, without chiropractic, sort of weird, nutty, completely incorrect. Uh, yeah, they have a lot, of, a lot of woo-woo. Yeah. I feel like you take a big chance seeing a chiropractor that you've never gone to, they could crack your back, or they can spend an hour talking about what areas you keep the sadness in and wave something over your back. Like I filled out the whole form once with a chiropractor and found out he wouldn't even touch my back. <laughs> wow. Okay. I've never... like, I don't really do cracking. <laughs> Uh, the cracking's pretty... Jeez, uh, that's just weird. Um, Are you the cracking kind or the, the mystical, take this magnesium supplement that a, a wizard blew on? No, no. We're the cracking kind. And it's kind of funny because, like, yeah, there's, there's a big debate within chiropractic itself as to people who want to say, like, can we just focus on the techniques we found that work, mm-hmm. not the woo bullshit, and but there's people who are super into it and, like, no, this is blasphemy to the founders who had whatever. There's all kinds of dumb shit. Who had demons in their spirit. The founder of chiropractic actually was, like, a magnetic healer, which used to be a big thing in the 19th century. I've heard of it in Korea. Yeah. So there's that. So, but yeah, but like I said, DOs are real doctors. So like in terms of, you know, we take the same tests and these do. Aside from maybe a can or some professor who's super big on that stuff, um, most everyone's pretty down to earth about like what this can and cannot do. But the problem is, Great. like, there is literally no way to teach that in person. It has to be hands-on. You cannot do this mm-hmm. virtually. Yeah. But I, don't know, I, I don't even know how they're going to approach that. I hope they don't give up and make some god-awful online version that doesn't involve in-person study. Same. <laughs> yeah. It's like when people say they have a CPR certification, but they did it online. I don't want you in the room if I need CPR. And <laughs> all you did was click through a YouTube video. <laughs> yes, that is totally fair. I wouldn't want that there's, either. Yeah, there's some stuff you need to get in there using your hands. Yeah, you need to have your CPR research pretty often, again, in person, because, like, I've had my CPR certification a few times, but every time I go in for recertification, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot this. I forgot some of this crap. I forgot this stuff. Yeah, and, you know, people remember all those details under great duress. It oh, just, yeah. It just comes to you. Yeah, because <laughs> people under duress always do really well with that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember that online video I took two years ago so I could babysit my neighbor. Yeah. Um, did your neighbor make you get a CPR certification? <laughs> I did a lot of babysitting, so I was thinking of somebody trying to do the bare minimum. And, okay. <laughs> to get a job. Like, yeah, I, I got it. I got it on YouTube University. Oh, wow. CPR, yep. So how is East Hollywood treating you? Oh, uh, that was okay. It's, uh, 
I don't know. Okay, so people on the street, they're going to look at you weird if you're all roaming around taking pictures of buildings at night. <laughs> that's just a given. Um, There's yeah, no naked ladies. Yeah, but I was like, what the fuck are you doing out here? And yeah. I tried to go during one of the fewest number of people around possible, which is between mm-hmm. 2 and 4 a.m. Oh, yeah, that's prime no. time. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, there's still a lot of people out just after midnight. And it used to be when, you know, pre-COVID, I would do this. I had to wait till after two because there were still drunks around. Yeah. Um, but uh, the event is also like, you know, a matter of timing because surprisingly, by 4.30, a lot of the city is coming to life. I believe it, yep. Everyone's got a 5 a.m. shift is already on the road or, you know, waiting at the bus stop or something like that. Yeah, you have to find the time between drunks and early birds. Exactly. Um, I took a picture of a funny sign. I just pulled over and I had to take a picture of the sign and the unhoused individuals living on the street thought I was filming them and they got scared. So one of them ran out and woke up somebody else and they said, she's filming us, she's filming us. And I had to just yell, no, the sign is funny. I'm sorry. The one with the polar bear is funny. I'm just I'm just taking a picture of the sign. Good night. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. I went on a skid row to take a picture of this actually very cool modernist building. Mm-hmm. And that I was like, you know, between three and four, most of the city is genuinely bit as hell. Not skid row. Skid row is the worst place you could have said, I think, in L.A. Yes. to be at that time. Yeah. There are people awake screaming at each other. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know, as soon as I park in the other car, a bunch of people are like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, why are you here voluntarily? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that was wondering, like, this is a cool building. I'm not staying here longer than five minutes. They're not pushing it. How did you fare? What happened? Oh, it was okay. I mean, like, yeah, other than getting some weird looks, yeah, uh, no one bothered me. <laughs> Nobody yelled at me or something like that. <laughs> much better than when I was working through a corner and had to go into uh, Skid Row. Oh, God. Did you have to pick up people on the street a lot? Uh, Yeah, that happened a fair amount. Yeah. Uh, also, sometimes people who were in the Section 8 housing in Skid Row, that was just... Sleek? Uh, that was... <sighs> No, is it unpleasant? Okay. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Hit me with that unpleasantness. Uh, you know, compassion fatigue is a very real phenomenon. Compassion fatigue? Yes. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point after when somebody's trying to crawl into your van to look at the bodies in there, it is like, I will I will pay whatever <laughs> so that someone deals with homeless people. I don't want to be the one personally dealing with them anymore. Yeah, it's a lot to handle. Like, I think you have to turn your compassion off completely if you're doing this yeah. night after night. Yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, then there's like, you know, most of them are harmless. Some of them get aggressive. And you're just like, can you just fuck off and let me do my job? There's only so many work days that you want to get a story out of. But then the day in and day out is not fun. Yeah, and it's funny because I used to work for a while at a homeless shelter. And that was actually not a terrible oh, well. job. Um, mm-hmm. But... A couple of the cars off, so I was just like, mm, no more for a while, please. Oh, so they, they try to get into your van after like, your body's in it? Yeah, it happened at least once. You know, there's occasional stuff for, like, people yelling, he's not dead, he's just asleep. Oh, no. And we're like, no, no, he's already in stage one decomp. He's dead. <laughs> of all people, you know very well that this person is deceased. It's like the parrot sketch. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> with uh, dead people on the street, I, I've always wondered if I've come across a dead homeless person. Okay. There's sometimes where if you walk by a dead homeless person, the smell will tip you off. Um, oh, my God. Or make you ignore it. Uh, I don't, no, not really. Um, oh. <laughs> there's a lot of... <laughs> 
I can be a little insufferable in watching horror movies these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, my jobs have uh, ruined certain aspects of them for me. Oh, that's it's, great. So there's some pretty inaccurate decomp. Oh yeah. In horror movies. Oh yeah. No one's ever in bloat phase. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's all that stuff where like people stumble on a dead body and they're supposed to be in bad shape. And like, no. You would have smelled that from 30 feet away. You did not stumble on that. If they look that rough, you would have known a while back. Yeah, and that's actually the one I made thing. Movies, TV, whatever, they never capture the smell. Wow, you're so right. I'm thinking of uh, this FX series called The Bridge, and there's two police officers wandering the desert with a flashlight, and Matthew Lillard literally tripped on something, I think, and he goes, what's that? Turns the light on, nasty, decomposed bodies. <laughs> no. What, what, no. Even in the open air, would have smelled that coming from, I don't know, 20, 30 feet away. <laughs> Nobody says, what's that smell? That should be, yeah. that should no. be another cliche in procedural shows. What's that smell? Like every oh. episode. Oh, it totally should be. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite things is, so say you encounter a dead body on the streets, wherever, um, everyone's first response is to call the cops. Yeah, cops will come out, and cops are supposed to stay with the body. So I always knew it was bad if I pulled up, especially to a resident, and the cop is standing outside. Oh, no. <laughs> Almost inevitably, I get out of my van, watch it walking over there, and there's going to be some variety of, like, dude, that one's rough. And the solid oh, no. I don't, I don't know how you do this. <laughs> I don't know. Just... Especially if, like, with a big tough dude, watching cops vomit is the funniest fucking thing on the planet. Oh, I want a super cut of cops puking dead bodies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I only get to see it a couple of times. It's the best thing in the world. <laughs> I love it. I love that they have to supervise the body and, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah. And then there's always a fun bit with cops fucking with their fellow rookies. It's one of those things we get the training officer for the rookie. Because they have the rookie help take uh, the liver temp. What's the liver temp? Uh, so, as a general rule of thumb, the liver, mm-hmm. this organ in the body, loses, what is it? It's supposed to lose about a degree like, yeah, of heat per hour that the body has been dead. Oh, okay. Now, it used to be kind of standard practice, you know, find a dead body, you make this little, basically exacto, make a little tiny incision so you can help the scientific thermometer. They basically they look like slightly glorified meat thermometers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guide that into the liver. It can take about 30 seconds to minutes before you, know, you get a little beep. And you can use that to estimate the time of death. Oh, wow. Now, now, I just learned a new recipe. Now, LA County is one of the last coroner's offices that still does this because there are so many confounding factors that it's really not that accurate. Oh, like, no? You know, well, I mean, how hot is this side? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, then it cools up more slowly. If it's colder, well, then it might cool off faster. And then there's, has the body already started to decompose a little bit, at which point the bacteria in your body are generating heat. Oh, man. And so that will throw it off. Oven. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so what were you yeah. saying about the rookie cop? Oh, yeah. They, they always have the rookie. Like, hey, rookie, do you want to help them take the liver top? They'll make the rookie glove up. Uh, like, yeah, make a little tiny incision, like an eighth of an inch, and then just, yeah, have them guide it into the liver. And, you know, <laughs> the investigator, the corner investigators, they love this. A lot of them are either ex-military or ex-cops. And they're like, yeah, come on, you just need to shove it hard enough and you feel it pop. Then you know it's in the liver and the liver. <laughs> so the rookie, of course, is burning green, but this is just one of those things we do to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing the older cop just looking around dramatically. I'm too old for this shit. Get the rookie. Nah, it's it's very it's very much like a that's, that's a mild form of uh, cop hazing. 
Mm-hmm. There are far worse ones. That one's relatively mild. So here's something that I always bring up just because it cracks me up and please, run, please and crack again, me up. Everyone thinks you can expect. Is it as funny well, as liver temp? Not quite. We'll get there. Okay. Um, <laughs> but homicide cops, homicide detectives. I oh, love yeah. homicide detectives. I have never met one that is like you know the TV or movie stereotype of the guy who's hard boiled and like you know seeing too much shit and they're like I'm too old for this shit. Oh, no, yeah. all homicide detectives are basically jolly motherfuckers who sit around and just tell dad jokes over dead bodies all day. Yeah, they couldn't have higher job satisfaction, I'm assuming, because, yeah, like, they know they're doing something actually useful. But, yeah, they'll just sit there and tell the worst jokes while you're wrapping up the dead body. So while you're working, they just stand around and watch you? Um, so the thing is, uh, cops aren't allowed to touch the bodies. Oh. Scrap whatever you've seen on NCIS or yeah. most of those shows. Usually they kneel down and they put the gloves on and they look back at the camera like, hmm, looks like they were strangled. But there's no gloves or leaning. In real life. Well, um, I mean, Kate, they put on gloves and say we need, if there's a handgun involved, mm. you know, we'll suicide. We hand it over to the cops and the cops clear it and secure the weapon. Um, okay. There's two parts of this. There's a corner investigator who would drive around a sedan and their job is to write up the initial report that they're going to hand over to the medical examiner when they do their examination. Uh, and then there's my job, technically forensic attendants, but could this be called, you know, Professional dead person picker upper. <laughs> yeah. Professional so, dead person picker upper. Yeah. Next on ABC. So, yeah, so I drove a big white van. Uh, ideally, it's supposed to get a scene around at the same time as the investigator. They did an investigation, I assist, and then we both wrap up the body, I load it into the van, and go off to the next one. So, yeah, detectives will stand around and watch us as we go through, you know, the clothing, their pockets, as investigators do their initial inspection. But they're not supposed to test the dead bodies directly. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and they always seem so hardened by their jobs. It sounds like they're having a pretty good time if they're jolly making jokes. Okay. okay. First homicide I ever worked. Um, <laughs> some guy yeah. who, I guess, used to work for a cartel in Mexico and then <laughs> double-crossed them. He told my friend, they beat the shit out of him. Oh, my God. And he came up to L.A., and was still working for them. Okay. And then he double-crossed them again. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> of all the bad moves, yes. double-crossing was, M- what is it called, MI? This dude was in the, uh, the native of Mexico, so I'm assuming he was working for the cartel down there. Okay. Yeah, they have different names. I don't know which one, per se, he was working, <laughs> he was working for. But, you know, they all have Yeah, I'm not have... up on, like, cartels. I just <laughs> know they're bad. Yeah. Johnny's like, well, this dead guy. Uh, their kind of job is to help move drugs into the U.S., and then distribute them to yeah. the street gangs who do the actual selling. Um, mm-hmm. Prison gangs actually control the street gangs. The cartels control the, I guess we would call it the wholesale distribution network. Interesting hierarchy. Are, yeah. Street gangs control the okay. retail distribution network. Wow, it's pretty organized. Yeah. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. So, just another <laughs> facet of organization. Mm-hmm. So, I guess back in 1994, I think, the heads of all the prison gangs kind of sat down and decided that drive-bys brought too much heat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Japanese bystanders, bad for business. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. People kind of mistake this about Southern California and California in general because we have organized crime. It just doesn't look like the East Coast. You don't have, yeah. you know, five families and you know, dudes who are probably going to be in it for life and made men and shit. You know, right. you have all these street gangs and, and you know, eventually there's some other 
couple of years go to prison and they sort of form bigger gangs in prisons and they control stuff from prison. Yeah. So they, instead of like their foot soldiers being made men and one of the guys, their foot soldiers are, you know, cholos and gang mm-hmm. bangers. So they put the word out, no more drive-bys. What this means is that like a lot of the gang are drug-related homicides I saw actually looked more like professional hits, hmm. but they kind of have this distinct LA flavor to them. Which is because since they're hitting sort of like lower level operatives, uh-huh. it turns out being a gangbanger or a drug dealer, for the most part, like below a certain level, is actually not that lucrative. Yeah. So these guys all live in houses where they probably have like their parents and, you know, their wives and girlfriends and their kids. And you've got like three generations of people stuffed into a house. Yeah. So if they want to have a private conversation with somebody, usually they have it in their parked car, like out front. <laughs> it's their office. It's their office. <laughs> Going back to the original story, um, yeah, Peter is sitting in his car, parked in front of his house, talking to his girlfriend, who he had a couple of kids with, and this car pulls up, and there's like, yeah, there's the driver, and there's the shooter, and the shooter hops out, runs over this guy, shoots him, hops in the car, drives off. His girlfriend's sitting six inches away from him, just on a scratch on her, but the target took, uh, like, six or seven bullets. Wow. So, that was some strategy. Yeah. So we get there, and... I mean, how many details I know because the cops have already been talking to, the, the cops have already walked off the scene, the detectives have already talked to the neighbors and, you know, got some information and whatnot. And it's me and the investigator, we pull him out of the car, mm-hmm. you know, lay him down, they're going through his pockets, they're logging all the possessions he has on him, and one of the homicide detectives asks, hey, can I see what's in his wallet before you log it? Dude's like, sure. So they go through it, and there's this usual crap, you know, Mexican ID, some lottery tickets, a couple of receipts. <laughs> yeah, nothing out of the ordinary. Cop goes, okay, thanks, you know, whatnot. We log it. When they keep skipping out of beach, he turns to me and says, I was hoping we'd find a suicide note. Oh, what? <laughs> this is your average homicide cop. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. That's like stories I've heard of cops sprinkling drugs on a victim or uh, having that other gun, the gun they don't talk about. Yes, the drop gun. Like in their boot. <laughs> I mean, like, most of the stories I've heard about that involve gang cops. And the few times I've seen gang cops, they look like they hate their jobs and their lives. <laughs> I mean, like, unless you can imagine, we've seen the same dickheads day after day and, you know, right. wondering if any of this is worth it. But the homicide cops are always cheerful. They always are, they're always happy, they're always cracking dumb jokes. It's not as depressing as gang violence. Yeah! Disconnected crime is more fancy free. Do they wear sunglasses? Do they take the sunglasses off and put them back on dramatically? Um, no. Okay, that honestly, one I was pretty sure of. Honestly, most of them look more like what you would see from like cop shows or cop movies from the 70s. Bad haircuts, sort of ill-fitting suits. Loud dies. Kind of portly. Yeah. They, they start running and stop quickly to catch their breath. Well, it's, like I said, the homicide cops weren't running anywhere. Uh, a, lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of cop stashes, but more on the more on the walrus side than like the jerk stash, the shorter one. I actually pictured the big walrus stash when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, during your studies, have you found yourself wanting to interject in class because of your real-life experience? You have something to add to the class? Uh, no. I've occasionally brought that up in study groups and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Most of my experience will probably be more relevant in second year when we start concentrating heavily on pathology as of right now, the paper one is just all the basics. And, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Uh, Anatomy, common diseases, and the systems. Yeah. A lot of the systems, uh, it's pretty anatomy-heavy. Um, <laughs> I like anatomy. In my school, I'm doing its best to crush my love for it out of me. 
Ooh. Well, you know, I knew it on a superficial level. I was working as an embalmer. Mostly all I had to know were the major blood vessels. If I knew, like, the major organs and the major muscle groups, that was a bonus, but you didn't need to know that. No. Um, <laughs> but not only do I need to know all of that stuff, I need to know, for example, what they do, uh, what the blood supply is, what innervates them. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Cadaver Lab. Mm-hmm. That, that was the thing I looked forward to. That at least was fun. And there were good moments, like when we had to install the head and half, and Ooh. everyone was just looking at it like, okay, who's going to do it? And I just said, just, just give me this one. Oh. I'll do this. Uh, good times. Nostalgia. Let me yeah. saw this guy's head in half. Well, we're getting involved right. I spent a lot of time putting all these bodies back together. It's it kind of right. fun being the person taking it apart for a change. Yeah. Some people like jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. You're just a step up. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was unfamiliar with the occasional bit of, like, alteration you needed to do. Mm-hmm. Freak accidents. Yeah. Um, Mangled was, people. I think the most fun I ever had was the time mm-hmm. I had You can to, call I, it fun. Yeah, I can call it fun. <laughs> the most fun I ever had in having a bumper was the time I had to sew a severed head back on. Wow. Cross stitch? Double stitch? How did you sew it? Uh, hidden stitch. Okay. There's, uh, there's a stitch embalmers use. Wait. No. The stitch? Correction. I think for that one, it was a baseball stitch, so we were worried he would leak. <laughs> you were worried he would leak? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, okay. So there's a couple of different stitches embalmers use. One, the one that's usually used for regular embalming, but for the neck incision. So we call it a hidden stitch. You anchor one part of it, and it's designed to take the edges of the cuts, pull them in on themselves, so that when it's tight, it just kind of looks like a wrinkle. Okay. And, yeah, and if necessary, you can wax over that, and if it's going to be exposed, mm-hmm. you know, if someone doesn't listen to you and brings in a scoop neck dress or something, <laughs> and you can wax over that and put makeup on it, and they shouldn't be able to tell that it's there. Hmm. So it, then, it prevents cleavage because it's flesh pulling inward. Yes, on itself. Okay, However, got it. that's not the most leak-proof one. The most leak-proof one is the baseball stitch. Baseball and stitch. Does it look like a baseball? It looks like a baseball. Oh, okay. Have you ever seen any of those photos of you know, bodies that have already been autopsied and sewed back up? Usually, what they're using yeah. is a, what they're using there is a baseball stitch. Okay, um, learned so, so much. <laughs> so, baseball stitch is the generally most leak-proof. I'm having trouble remembering the exact stitch. It was uh, for the severed head. <laughs> I think there might be a couple things that stand out in your memory outside of the stitch. Well, yeah, I mean. I mean, first time I had to tell someone to get me a dowel or a broomstick because you kind of need something to, uh, the spine is severed. You're going to need to replace that sort of structural pillar. Yeah. Do that with a dowel that you can kind of insert into the trachea at both ends and then you sew the head on from there. Oh, creative. It's like a scarecrow with a broom handle head. <laughs> kind of. Um, do you know how this individual lost their head? Uh, yeah. It was suicide. They went down to, uh, it was suicide by train. Wow. Okay. Yeah, which is a lot more common than you would believe. Really? Yeah. That'll that'll do it. It's not an easy appendage. Wait, I don't think you call your head an appendage. <laughs> it's a quick pop off. That'll do it. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Suicide by train is relatively common. <laughs> oh Lord. Not quite as common as hanging or firearms, but it's still relatively common. Down by the train tracks. I just think of strip clubs down by the train tracks. Now I'm going to think of suicide down by the train track. I can ruin something else for you if you would like me to. Oh, I would love that. But I'm just thinking of my neighborhood because all the strip clubs are by the train. (laughs) All the big ones. I wonder if anybody made two stops that night at the Deja Vu and then on the track. Totally possible. (laughs) Please ruin more for me. (laughs) Okay. 
Are you familiar with the book Final Exit? Is it some mystical mumbo-jumbo, or is it true crime? Or No. It's a publication by this group called the Hemlock Society. And okay. essentially, it's kind of like a seven, late 70s or early 80s. And in this particular year, watched both, I think, his mother-in-law and his wife die horribly of cancer. Aww. And he basically decided there had to be a better way than this. And so he had found this group called the Hemlock Society. And this is kind of where, um, this is kind of the beginning of the euthanasia and right to die movement. Oh, okay. This is, this is very okay, the, the, the title could be a lot of things. That makes sense. Last exit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final exit. Oh, sorry. Final exit. In any case, the first edition of Final Exit. my bookshelf somewhere. Yeah. Um, there we go. So, the first edition. Well, okay, so we'll get to the distinction in a moment. The first edition has a whole list of drugs and drug interactions, and essentially it's for people who are people are terminally ill and they like to spare themselves and their families uh, undue suffering, but they also yeah. don't really want to make a mess the way that guns or other methods make you a mice. Nice and tidy and clean. A death that doesn't leave a mess. Yeah, they have tips for, like, for how to overdose, just giving your body weight, you know, how to keep it down. Um, this is essentially wow. when Heaven's Gate, you know, committed mass suicide, and they had mass mm-hmm. with all our opiates with either yogurt or applesauce. This is straight out of Final Exit. Oh, my God. Uh, Heaven's Gate reminds me of Nike's. I have to tell you something. But I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> okay. So the first edition had all that. But I guess between the first and second editions, there's some people who are writing in who are like, you know, we have this slight problem where a lot of people who are terminally ill may not get the drugs that would allow them to take their own lives. Mm. Um, yeah, so is there a better solution that does not rely so much on having access to these kind of drugs? Okay, America, alternative. That's kind of limited. So they came up with this thing called the exit bag. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is actually the second portion of Tyvon's Gate. So this is like the bag they pulled over their head. Oh, wow. Yeah. But the, the way the exit bag really works, the solution proposed in the second edition of Final Exit, is you don't actually need drugs. If you can't get any, what you can do is just rent a helium tank, you know, it's the kind that you get for at party supply stores. <laughs> party city. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You run a tube from the helium tank under the bag, you put up your head, you know, you open the valve with the helium escape, pull it tight, the helium goes into the bag, you start inhaling it, you don't realize that you're oxygen deficient until you pass out. Oh, wow. It's, yeah. It's so you can just sort of painlessly pass out without struggling and realizing that you're suffocating. So you just pass out and expire. And... Mm-hmm. So every time we found one of these helium tank bag or the exit bag, there would be somewhere in the room, you have a nightstand, a copy, a final exit, and that helium (laughs) tank was always, always from Party City. (laughs) Yeah, I'm planning a party. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A party with me and none of my friends. Oh, shit. I can't help but think of them saying something in a really high-pitched Joker voice. Like, if you have a a bag of helium around your head and you have any final words, it would be unfortunately hilarious. (laughs) Did you have, like, a code name? Oh, we've got another party city. Uh, We didn't really, because, you know, we weren't always sure what was out there. (laughs) But, yeah, people would say, like, yeah, 
they would get there, then there would usually be like a party city box. Oh, I wonder how many of them bought balloons just to go along with the guys. <laughs> I don't know. We actually didn't usually find any balloons. Oh my god. I'm guessing. I mean, I'm sure some did, but I'm also guessing plenty of party city employees probably just getting paid minimum wage. That's not enough to care about why someone's renting a helium tank. <laughs> if they had any idea. Well, thankfully, Party City wasn't a sacred place for me. <laughs> you didn't mar the sanctity of Party City for me. I, <laughs> you brought up Heaven's Gate. Today I saw a little bit of fuckery I thought you would find funny. There's a website, I think it's called God Against Nikes. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it's fake or not. At, at this stage in our nonsensical existence, our ridiculous reality right now i don't know what's real and what's not but this website purports to be (laughs) yes fair from uh somebody who feels that their brother kevin i think was uh called upon by god to speak against nike and the weird thing is that their brother kevin is governor in oklahoma oh wow so it has pictures of the actual governor, and the website is from the crazy sibling. Again, this could be completely fabricated, and good on them if it is, because it's funny. But Nike is a goddess that fought against God, so yeah. praising the shoes is against God. I kind of skimmed through that, but what really stood out was, <laughs> God has called upon my brother Kevin, the governor. Uh, I'll, send, you, I'll send it to you. God against Nikes, I think. <laughs> you're familiar with Poe's Law? The whole, what is it, Poe's Law? Uh, yeah, the whole any sufficiently advanced troll is a distinguishable from a genuine cook. <laughs> I haven't heard that before, but I, I like knowing about this definition. It's applicable to so many. <laughs> yeah, I think he's living in Poe's Law for like, I don't know, the last several years. Poe's Law? <laughs> Uh, I know you no, love like, crazies. Oh, I do. And I used to, I used to <laughs> love looking at all of these. Uh, the early days of the internet, there are always UFO cults. Oh, I love it. Those, yeah, those are great. But uh, yeah, then there's always that question of like, is this person for real or is this a parody site? And you could never fucking tell. <laughs> so hard to tell. Yeah. I just saw a shirt that I wouldn't buy, but I really like it. It was a targeted ad, and the shirt was a UFO abducting somebody, and it said, get in, loser, we're doing butt stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not a shirt for me, but that, sir, is a good shirt. See, that's a shirt I would (laughs) own. I'm glad I brought it up. (laughs) Uh. All right, man, this was awesome. I'm going to go cook up some demon sperm or whatever I have around. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. Have a good weekend. Uh, You too. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Bloat Phase, Jolly Motherfuckers, and Party City. Um, won't return our calls. Please stay on the line for our next episode with Wesley Shane Woods. Great.